Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or on a bed? Or instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The word of the Lord. Thank you. We are this summer looking at the Gospel of Mark. At the beginning of the New Testament, you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the records of the apostles. Uh, it's where they, everything they, they saw and they heard, uh, they shared orally. They, for the most part, were illiterate men. But it was recorded and put down in the Gospels as the record of what they had seen and heard as they grew older, uh, right before they died. And we've seen in the Gospel of Mark the record of Peter, a fisherman, a direct and vivid description of Jesus. Peter's Gospel, Mark, is the shortest. It is the most direct. There's no speculation about who Jesus is or what he means. Peter just records what he saw and heard. And for that reason, it's a great place to go to get the basics about Jesus. We've seen him begin his ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist out in the desert like anybody else. We've seen him be tempted. We've seen him be challenged by the leaders of Israel and demonstrate his authority in his teaching, in his healing, in his spiritual authority by driving out demons amongst the people. And now in the north of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, he begins to teach in his distinctive style, using parables. Rather than lecturing, it was Jesus' habit to plant these seeds. His audience were peasants. They had nothing to write on. They were not used to uh, reading books. They were illiterate. How to teach illiterate uh, farmers, how to teach uneducated people, well, Jesus came up with this new method, planting these seeds, little stories that as you reflected upon in your memory would unpack themselves and teach you about the kingdom. Last couple of Sundays, we saw the first of these, the parable of the sower, where Jesus explains what a parable is. It's like a seed. Just as a farmer plants seed in soil and it grows and bears fruit, so God sows his seed, the word of God, Jesus, in our hearts where it grows and begins to bear fruit. And now here, uh, verse 21 that you have printed in your bulletin there, Jesus continues to teach, continues to explain the nature of his word, the nature of who he is. He said to them, remember he's talking to people in the north of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? 
And he's talking about the lamps of the time. You've probably seen them in movies. Little bowls with a spout sticking out the side with a wick that you could light, um, used uh, with oil. And he's saying here, if you have such a light, you don't put it low down. If you want to illuminate a room, illuminate your home, you put it up high. You don't put it under your bed. You don't put it under a bowl. You put it up high on a stand so that it gives you the maximum illumination, so you get the maximum benefit of that light. Now, there's a lovely element to what Jesus is saying here that isn't quite conveyed in the English translation. Do you bring in a lamp? Jesus' phrase there includes the verb to bring. Now, in English, it doesn't matter whether you bring a person or an inanimate object. You know, you bring a friend, you bring a bottle of wine to a party, it's the same verb, bring. But that's not true in Greek. In Greek, the ending of the word is different, whether it is personal or an inanimate object. So the verb here is rechitai. And it changes depending on whether what you're bringing is personal, a person, or an inanimate object. And you would expect a lamp to be inanimate. But Jesus uses the personal here. The lamp is not just an ordinary lamp. Jesus is saying the lamp that you bring is a person, is actually the light of the world. Jesus said, he says this in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here, Jesus is extending his parable of the sower. God is like a farmer who sows seed, in that he sows the word of God, Jesus, into people's hearts. And as you share him, the crop grows. Now Jesus is comparing the seed, the word of God, himself, to a light. A light that illuminates, that reveals, that guides, that shows the way. Verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. You plant a seed, you conceal it, you hide it in the soil, and then it bears fruit. Well, the word of God, Jesus, is exactly the same. He did not come to reveal himself to a secret group of people, disciples, so that they would have this hidden secret knowledge. He revealed himself to them, the disciples, the apostles, those that followed him, so that they, too, would reveal him to the world. Jesus came to shine, not to be a hidden lamp under a bowl or hidden under the bed. He came to illuminate the whole world. And, of course, the great tragedy of the world is that so many are so distracted that they don't even notice. The reason this is important is it's sometimes possible to think of, of Christianity, think of Jesus, as sort of a philosophy, 
an idea, a great idea that you have, um, some knowledge about the nature of the world. But that's not who he is. What does Jesus illuminate? What does he reveal? Not a philosophy, not some clever facts. He illuminates God. He teaches us to pray to our Father, that is his Father, and now our Father. What he is illuminating is a relationship. He is illuminating a new relationship that you can have in this world with the creator of this world. And that's what needs to be shared. That is what you don't want to conceal. It is why the essence of Christian life is witness. Not primarily teaching about God, but sharing your relationship with God. It's the reason, by the way, that new Christians are the best evangelists. Because they're still excited about this new thing they have in their life, this new relationship with God. Grizzled old Christians like me, it's been 20 years now, um, well, it's a different kind of relationship. It's layered with experience and ministry and too many books and all kinds of stuff. The joy of a new Christian sharing their faith, witnessing this new relationship, is the essence of evangelism. The point is that we are not encouraged to think about Jesus and God as this secret that we have. Although, you know, many of us have this heart now changed and filled with this new relationship and love. The point is to share it. Because Jesus doesn't just come for a few people. Remember, once again, probably the most famous verse in the Christian Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The, the goal of Christians, that is, disciples of Jesus, those who follow him, who have this new relationship, is to share that truth and that relationship with other people. And notice what he says. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever you see Jesus saying that, it's like he's putting a marker pen under what he's just said. This is important. This is key. Make a note of what I've just said. This is central. This will allow you to understand what I am trying to, to say to you, what I'm trying to teach to you. But then there's a sort of, take the, the tone changes. Verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. I don't know about you, but when you first read that, it's a little ominous. What is Jesus saying there? He's talked about planting the seed. He's talked about sharing. What is he talking about here? I think what he's doing is reinforcing this central point, the thing that he wants his listeners to hear. Christianity is not an idea or a philosophy that you agree with or follow to have a better life. Christianity is a relationship. 
When you are listening, when you are hearing, you are not hearing facts about God. God is not an object of knowledge, like something you would read about in a book. Rather, what you are hearing is the language of love, the language of intimacy and relationship. The purpose for us to listen to God and for us to respond in prayer and worship is to deepen that relationship. You don't listen to your parents most of the time at all. You certainly are not particularly interested in instruction or teaching, if you're like me. Why do you listen to your parents? Because you love them. Because that ongoing dialogue is the essence of the relationship. It is the fabric of the relationship. And whether you listen to the instruction or don't, the point is your interaction with each other that deepens your relationship. Don't hear the gospel as something that is to be taught. Think about it as a relationship to be shared, to be revealed, to be shared with others. This was hammered into me when I was uh, when I graduated from seminary to become a pastor. After you've gone through all the training, you're examined by other pastors, and uh, this happened to me in New York. Uh, about 60 old Presbyterian pastors in a room and me up front. And uh, it's terrifying. They're a pretty forbidding bunch. They're no smiling. And they can ask you any question that they want. Anything. is, And you're standing there. You know, like a sacrificial lamb. It's terrifying. Um, I've watched candidates start to shake uncontrollably, cry, even run out of the room. It's awful. And... The questions come at you from all over. Why aren't you married, Mr. Hinchliffe? Please outline the book of Romans, Mr. Hinchliffe. You call yourself a Protestant, Mr. Hinchliffe. What are you protesting against? Should Christians support or condemn Muslims who blow up idolatrous statues of the Buddha? By the way, that's a great question. They can throw anything at you. But one question slew me. How many people have you brought to Christ, Mr. Hinchliffe? And the answer was none. And all the energy went out of the room. And I thought I was done with. I thought that was going to be the end of it. Um, be gentle with yourself. I was a brand new Christian. I was four years into Christianity at that point. Uh, be gentle with yourself when it comes to sharing. I think it's a, I think, two contradictory things. The best evangelists are brand new Christians, but also you have to come to terms with your relationship. And so over time, as you explore your call and your ministry, you will learn to talk about your faith as well. You're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. We should be gentle with ourselves when we think about sharing. You know, probably the best place in the Bible to go to learn what it means to be responding to God's call is the prophet Isaiah. He was called by God to speak to Israel. And his call is the most detailed call in the Bible. It's used, we studied it constantly when I was at seminary. And I'm going to read it to you. And as I do, I want you to think about how this applies to your personal relationship with God and your sense of call. So this is Isaiah's call. You can find it, by the way, in Isaiah 6. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. Seraphim, by the way, are the angels that are in God's immediate presence. With two wings they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole world is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This was originally written in Hebrew, and Hebrew is different from English. If it's hot, you say, it's hot. If it's very hot, you don't say in Hebrew, it's very hot. You say, it is hot, hot. And if it's like maximally hot, it's never used this way. Only God uses it. It would be hot, hot, hot. So God is not just holy. God is not just very holy. God is perfectly holy. Holy, holy, holy. The sublime apex of holiness the source of holiness, the definition and meaning of holiness. And so Isaiah is brought into the presence of this holiness, in the presence of God. And this is what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When an ordinary, unholy human being comes into God's presence, they are revealed. They are revealed as sinful, as unholy. Where God is, sin and unholiness cannot be. And therefore, to come into God's presence is a catastrophe for human beings. What to do? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal at his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The altar is the place of sacrifice. Here we are being a, given a glimpse, 800 years before it happened, of Jesus. The atoning sacrifice who will be sacrificed by God to make God's people clean. And holy. It is terrifying to be revealed. It's actually the great challenge of Christian ministry. But at the same time, we receive this astonishing gift. Jesus' sacrifice. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Whom shall I send? God never orders his people to do anything. There is a divine courtesy here, a grace. He is looking for our response, not out of fear, and um, not out of fear of punishment, not out of some kind of forcing. He's looking for a response of love and grace and a willing heart to do God's business because of the grace revealed in Jesus. And I said, here I am, send me. 
there are so many things you can say about this story. But notice, once you encounter God's grace, the atoning sacrifice, Christ, what is the response? Send me. It was remarkable that Jesus did not come into the world and then save everybody and take them away. He leaves his people, his church, in the world. Why? So that we can be sent. So that we can say to God, here I am, send me to share your word, to share you with the world. Just as you shared the relationship with God with me. We are following, and the Christian life is a following of the pattern of Jesus' life. And it is all about this heart transformed by grace, by freely offered love, freely offered relationship with God. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they, that they have will be taken from them. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What is that saying? It's a reminder that Christianity is a living relationship. It's like a living spring. It's like an organic union. It's a flowing uh, connection with God through Christ. It is not a private well. It is not just some idea. It is not just some, something that you agree with. It's a relationship. And so, the only way that your relationship with God will grow is if you become like a pipeline. You share that relationship with other people so that that spiritual life will flow from God through Christ into our life and into those whose lives we touch. Spiritual life depends on sharing with somebody else, with many somebody else's. And only then will it grow. You don't become a Christian, check off the box, and then go about your business. Christianity is a lifestyle, a growing, living relationship with its source, God. And as that spiritual life flows from him into your life, unless you let it go, it will stagnate. You will stop growing, and you will drift away. By the way, this is uh, one of the great dangers of ministry. Some people, perhaps many people, they become a Christian, they are excited about God, and then they start doing stuff. And they usually do what they're good at. And you can keep on doing that for a while, using your own strength, your own talents, your own abilities. But no matter how much you give of yourself, the world and the people around you will always want more. And they will suck you dry. This is the reason, by the way, why so many churches, so many pastors, so many Christian ministries blow up. People, Christians... Ministries forget the central fact. Ministry is not about doing what we do best. Ministry is about sharing what we receive from God. 
being a pipeline, a connection to God, not working out of our own strength. And so I've come to believe that the Christian life really is finding that balance, finding a personal call, something that you can continue doing for the long haul, which energizes you and advances God's kingdom. And when you find that thing, that is going to sustain you until you meet Christ face to face. By the way, what do you want God to say when you meet him? Jesus to say when you meet him. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all you want to hear. So you're going to have to find out, I am going to have to find out, how to sustain a ministry, a call, how to be about God's business for the long term. It doesn't have to be big and flashy, but it'll only happen if you are sharing what you receive. And by the way, it will only grow if you continue to share what you receive and that flow increases. That's what spiritual life is all about. That's what this light and illumination is all about. I'm going to end with a story here. Uh, a long time ago, before I was a Christian, this was back in the 80s, I was living in San Francisco, and a friend came over um, with her new boyfriend, Vlado. Englishman, but he was called Vlado. And uh, he lived in San Francisco. He was trying to be an artist. And oh, I knew him vaguely. I got to know him a little bit. And then a group of us went on a ski trip. And through a, a series of events, I was stuck with Vlado at his parents' house, which was close to Tahoe, and everybody else was at the chalet. They were the cool kids. I was stuck with Vlado. It wasn't a disaster. You know, it was just one night. And we were all going to go ski in the morning. And I was, I was pretty happy until dinner time. And we're sitting around the dinner table. And I'm at one end, and Vlado's at the other. And it soon became apparent that Vlado was the beautiful child. He was the one that all the other brothers and sisters, the mother and father, doted on. And it was, it was as if that end of the table was illuminated by light. They were smiling. They loved him. They just were enthralled by what he was telling them about his life in San Francisco. The delight, the intimacy, the uh, lack of facade, just it was beautiful to watch. And there's Tony at the other end of the table feeling just dim and gray and miserable. Now, I'm, I'm typically pretty self-sufficient, but that, I was 19 at the time. I had the most awful sense of loneliness and homesickness and just desolation. You know, it's a beautiful, happy family, but I felt like an orphan. Uh, it was like a physical thing. It just absolutely sucked the life out of me. My family was 6,000 miles away. His was right there, and they were pouring their love into his life. And I realized it came to me um, like a, a revelation. It was a revelation. The love that he was experiencing was his alone. I had absolutely no claim on it. I was an outsider. I wasn't part of that family. I didn't deserve it, and I certainly wasn't receiving it, and there was no way that I could get it. I mean, if I'd got up and dragged him down to my end of the table, what difference would that have made? No claim, because love 
is never required. It is never obligated. It is never a right to be demanded. It has to be gracious. It has to be offered. And they were offering it to their son, their natural son. Well, here's the twist. What is the gospel? Well, we've seen the gospel, the word of God, is a person, Jesus, who brings into the world a relationship. I wanted to pick up Vlado and throw him out of the window so I could have his relationship, but it was not my relationship. Love has to be given. Love is an act of grace. What did Jesus do when he came into the world? He gave his relationship with his family. You know, Jesus is part of a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus gave that relationship to us, allowed us to call his Father our Father, gave us his name, Christian, paid the cost of all the ugliness and sin and unholiness in us, anything that would present us being loved by the Father gave us uniquely his entire inheritance. It would be as if Vlado would come down to my end of the table and pick me up and put me in his place. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's why the gospel is good news. We have been invited in to the center of things, into the center of this divine family, this eternal love from all eternity offered to us freely. You know, in the moment, we're going to go to the table. This is the Lord's table. And why can we go to this table? Because Jesus went to the cross for us. That's why we eat the bread. It is his body broken on the cross. That's why we drink the cup. It is Jesus' blood shed on the cross. In the world... We are orphans. All of us one day will even lose the little life that we have. But because of Jesus, we're invited in. Because of Jesus, we are illuminated by God's delight in us. Just like at Vlado's family table. When we come to the table, I want you to think about that. What do you believe about Jesus? Is he just an idea that you assent to or agree with? Or is he a living relationship that you have? Do you worship? Do you pray? Are you sharing his light with others? Are you allowing your own life to be illuminated by his presence in your life? Are you growing as a Christian by sharing yourself with others? When we come to the table, we're being fed. Think about what you're eating. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that through Christ you have revealed yourself to us. More than that, Lord, through Christ you offer a relationship to us as father to child. What a privilege. What a miracle. We pray, Lord, that you would show us how to grow in our relationship with you that your delight in us would be shared by our delight in you, that we would have the courage to share you with others.
so that your light might spread through the world. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.